really excited. And now I'm indeed standing with a microphone on. Sorry about that. Um, so this is, this is really exciting. I, we're, we're talking from Micah this morning, and I want to give a little bit of background because I don't pretend to, to think that we all have this great working knowledge of Micah and the time with which he, he prophesied. Um, but I want to, all of the, the prophetic books of the, of the Old Testament, I want to kind of re-illustrate uh, what they are. It is uh, a prophetic book is not necessarily someone who's going to foretell the future, but instead someone who has come to speak, preach, write to a generation of people to bring the word of God to their life, to their heart for that moment. And that's what Micah is. So he is, in effect, a preacher and author for God's people in a particular time. Uh, when Micah was writing, it's about 700 years before Jesus is born. Uh, so Micah writes long, long time, 700 years before uh, Jesus is born. And at this time... The kingdom of God, you know, most of it is the nation of Israel. We've heard that before. We're the Israelites. We're God's people. But at this moment, the uh, God's people have been divided into to two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, because there's just some, some political strife, some, some geographic strife, and just some difficulty that's going on. Can we relate to that today? Uh, that there is uh, division that's present in our world. Um, Micah's theme was two things, very similar for us. It was uh, to proclaim the sin of the people. So, hey, we are sinful people and we live in a sinful world. Have you heard that before? Uh, We're sinful people and we live in a sinful world. But also his message is to proclaim a message of of peace and hope and forgiveness that's coming from God. So Micah was very similar to to the, the stuff that Dave and I preach. It's we're sinful people living in a sinful world. We're broken people living in a broken world, doing broken things to each other. And that God has come and provided a way, provided hope for us that we could have forgiveness and feel and sense forgiveness between us and God. This was Micah's um, message all throughout the book of Micah and then some of his his preaching that that shows up. Uh, What's also happening here is there's a great deal of oppression for the people because they were divided. They were weaker. And there was the threat of the Assyrians. And and during the time of, of of Micah's preaching, the Assyrians would come and and destroy Jerusalem, and, and they would also destroy Samaria, which is where kind of the other, the capital of Israel and the capital of, of Judah was, uh, was Jerusalem, and, and they would come and destroy both of those two cities and, and create more strife that's there. And so there's, there's always this threat of Assyria. There's always this threat of, of other nations to come and, and take from them, uh, and, and their division was hurting for them. Uh, so that's kind of the background here. Uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the, the passage here. Uh, God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity that we've gotten today already to proclaim the, the, the birth of our King of Kings, our Savior, our Lord of Lords. And we have, together with one voice as this church, uh, sung that this morning. I thank you for the gift that that is. I thank you for the, the gift that that was to, to my heart this morning. And I pray that as we, we sit and think of, about the expectancy of Jesus to return and celebrate the, the coming of Jesus on Christmas, we, we would be overcome, Father, and, and be aware of this the sense of expectancy, Lord. And I pray in these moments that we would center around 
the peace that you have provided for us, God, that passes our understanding, that is a possession that you have given to us, Father. And God, I pray that you would just allow us to center in on on the notion, the definition of what peace is this morning. Thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Uh, So I I said sort of that, that history of Micah because I think... Uh, what, what I've seen this week is that there is, there's some depth, there's some uh, relation that we have to the people that Micah was preaching to. So I think we can kind of connect with, with Micah's stuff uh, pretty well. So turn to Micah chapter 5 if you have your Bible. If not, it's going to be on the, the screen above me here. Uh, we'll start in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5, as Kelly has already read. Behold, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah. You who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, who is one, one who is to be ruler of Israel, who is coming forth, is from of old, from the ancient of days. Um, it's really cool. God has this habit of making great things out of something that the world or, or we would find to be worth less or, or not very valuable. And it's, it's incredible to think that, that God would, would rise up his son, his plan for the world, for your salvation, for my salvation, for the salvation of the world. That God would rise that up from a tiny, nothing little town. And, and just connect with, with, with that today. Like a nothing person from a nothing town to rise up and become the king of kings. Uh, about this verse, John Piper says this, God chose a stable... So that no innkeeper could boast. He chose the comfort of my inn, an innkeeper might boast. God chose a manger so that no woodworker could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. He chose Bethlehem so that no one could boast. The greatness of our city constrained the divine choice. And he chose you and me freely and unconditionally to stop the mouth of all human boasting. God is, this is, this is what he does. I, I think this is, this is really incredible. Last night, uh, I went to the, the Bur- Ferguson Brew House with, with some friends, a couple of pastor friends. And, and I said, we, we sat down at the table and I said, welcome to my city. And like, there's just a buzz. Have you ever been in that place on a Saturday night? There's just, it's really crowded. We had to wait for like an hour for our table. We finally sit down. I'm like, this is a great place. I'm excited you guys have come. And, and I'm, I'm boasting in my city. I'm boasting in, in this restaurant. I'm boasting in this opportunity. And, and I thought about this quote, like, this is, God brings his greatness through things that don't have any greatness about them so that no one can boast about them because Jesus is everything. He is all. Verse 3 says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. The nation is divided. In Micah's writing, the nation is divided. And like, do I need to spend more than a half a second to think, to convince you that our nation is divided? Like it's right down the middle, not just political, but so many things it's divided. And, and it's sharply divided, right? Like there are people that have really, really strong opinions and thoughts 
on this division. Our nation is divided. But for these people, war is all around them. What do you think it would be like for somebody to come and proclaim a message of peace to a nation who has this threat around them, very close to them, that, that can totally destroy their city, destroy their country? I, I think of, like, war-torn countries that in, in our current age. Like, what would it be like for a child to grow up where all they've known is every night there's bombs exploding all around them. And they're definitely worried that, that there's every, every time they walk down the street, they see people with machine guns. This is like the reality of the people of, people of Micah who are about to be, receive this message that peace is coming for you. There is no peace in their world. They're a divided nation and there is threats all around them, threats that, that are sworn to destroy them. But peace is coming for them. And for us, let me, let me proclaim this to you this morning. And, and I'm going to have you later. We're going we're gonna to pro- proclaim it together to ourselves. Peace is coming for us. As we go in this journey for peace, this verse is really helpful. Think about the division and think about the hardship and the reality that, that our world faces. And this is the message of Micah to the people of, of Israel and Judah in that time. But it's also the message of Micah to our hearts today. Therefore, he shall give them up. We might suffer difficulty and hardship today. But until the time when she who is in labor has given birth and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. God will unite his people together. That is the truth. Long for peace and know it's coming. Wait in expectation. I talked uh, two weeks ago when I was preaching on, on hope. Uh, I thought about the, the presence in mom's closet. I want to go back to that idea. Did, do you guys have that? Like in our house, there's a closet in our bedroom. And there's a blanket that sits over the top of it. And all the unwrapped presents are sitting there. And then... So, and for me, it was like up in the attic, and my brother was an expert at, at undoing tape and looking and then redoing that tape. Because my mom had a very strict rule. If she saw we had messed with it, that present went back and wasn't going to be replaced. Do you guys have something like that? You know what I'm talking about? But, but the thing is, in my brain, I was the good little boy, scared to do anything wrong. There's whole self-righteousness that we could get into in the middle of that. But I was scared to do something wrong, but I always had this... I I knew that in that attic were gifts that I was going to have in like a week. And I was really excited for that Christmas morning to happen. And there's that's this idea. And, And I think in our culture, we can connect with that sort of anticipation, And this is the anticipation that we want to slowly walk together to the manger this year to connect that we are anticipating this peace to come. Verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. I want you to look at the posture and activity of your Messiah here. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord. Of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Look at the posture and the activity of the Messiah in this verse. He shall stand. 
This is, Micah is, is a poet and he's writing poetry here. He shall stand. So he means to communicate firmness and strength. Think about that concept. He shall stand before us. This is our Savior. This is our Messiah. This is the peace that we're hoping for. In a divided nation with war everywhere and the threat of, of expulsion and the threat of death everywhere in their world, this is the, the, the anticipation that Micah wants to place in these people. This, your Savior, your Messiah shall stand. Not being served, not sitting. This is your Savior. Most of the kings in this, this generation are seated. They're seated on a throne and people are serving them. And the whole point of the existence of people is to serve their king. This king, your king, stands. That's powerful. And I hope you see that. But he also shall shepherd. And I love the word shall. He shall stand. He shall shepherd. This, they're, they're, there denotes some strength in that, right? He is leader. He guides. He directs for the sake of his people. He is coming and he is active. But he's also in the strength of the Lord. This is Messiah. This isn't just some, some guy. This is the Lord. This is Jesus who's coming. He's got the name of the Lord. The majesty of the name is Lord, his God. And here is, this is the, this is the part that, that really, we've, the, the first part there of this verse is Jesus and who he is, standing and shepherding and, and strength of the Lord. But then the effect is that people dwell secure. I want to, again, say it again, a divided nation with threats everywhere. These people long to dwell secure, long to, to fall asleep at night, not stressed over what's to come. Do you, do you ever... Like for me, there are seasons for me where, where I feel really secure, but there are also seasons where I just don't. Like my kids are fighting all the time. I don't know what's going to happen. I, where are my kids going to go to school? And how are, how are they going to, what's, what's happening with them at school? And there's this, this stress that I feel. And, and there's, sometimes there's a financial stress. Like how are we going to pay this bill that's coming up? Well, man, we had to send a kid to the doctor and we have a, I know that a bill's coming from the insurance company that says we owe them $800 and we don't have $800. And there's just this stress in the middle of that. And, and, and for us, like in September, for me, it was like, where is North Church going to meet? How are we going to get this room ready? All, like there's this, this stress that's a reality. And, and I, I think that we can all connect with that. There's, there's a, a, a cyclical season of stress trying to figure out how, what's happening in this world. This is the absence of peace. But your Savior has come and he stands and he shepherds in front of you so that you can dwell secure. And, and I, I, I want you to know that. Your Savior stands and shepherds before you so that you can dwell secure. That is that's powerful. And he shall be great. He shall be great. He's big. He's strong. He's able. He's worthy. And the beautiful part about this is when Micah has made this proclamation, he said it's coming from Bethlehem, a worthless, weak, nothing of a town. God is poetic in his the way that he operates. There is nothing physically of note here other than Jesus. 
It's incredible. And he, verse 5, this is, here comes the punchline, and he shall be their peace. This is really important for us to connect with. He shall be their peace. He, Jesus, shall be. There's nothing shaky. There's nothing worrisome. There's nothing maybe, maybe not. There's nothing confusing about us. He is their peace. No might be. He shall be there. Jesus is doing something for you. Do you need me to say? I think you do because I need me to say that this Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. He shall be their peace. He shall be your peace. And more than that, God is sovereign, can do anything that he wants to do. And the way that he chose to do it is to send his son to teenage oppressed parents in a worthless nothing town to rise him up so that the strength would be in the Lord and nothing else. And this is for you. According to the long-standing plan of God from all eternity past was to bring this baby to these people in this time and this place and we would stand, we would sit here and hear about him. The last word of this phrase is peace. Peace is the word irony, and it means the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation and thereby content with its earthly lot. Say that again. Peace, the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation and thereby content with its earthly lot. This is peace. This is what God has for you and wants to give to you as a gift. Let's say this together. He shall be my peace. Can we say that together? He shall be my peace. All right. The first time is always like awkward because some guy just told you to say something and we all together said that. But let's say it together and consider the depth of what we are communicating. He shall be my peace. I want to just sit with you for a second. The tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation and thereby content with its earthly lot. This is Jesus. He gave this to you as a gift. What exactly does that mean? I once heard a poet say this, uh, who perfectly says this notion. We've got to hold on to what we've got. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. We've got each other, and that's a lot. Okay. John was not the greatest poet, but he could really belt this out. And it's perfect. What he's, he's communicating is perfect. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. Jesus is yours. It's incredible. Next time you... You hear that come on the radio and you want to turn it up and, and try to match John's, John's volume. Sing this to your Savior. This is peace. When God says to you, I shall be your peace, this is what he's talking about. It doesn't make a difference if you make it or not. Because I'm here with you forever. That's peace. 
I won't make you sing that together with me. Although, Jeff and Kelly, if you can work it out in the next, like, ten minutes and we can sing it together during response time, that'd be awesome. No, it wouldn't. Uh, let's, let's spend some time thinking about peace here. Um, sin and brokenness in our world tear at our peace and our understanding and our understanding of our position of peace. Sin and and our brokenness in this world tear at that. We have trouble in our world because of sin, and it wars with our peace. Let me say that again, because that's not right. It doesn't war with our peace. Our peace is secure. It wars with our understanding of peace. It wars with our connection with the reality that we are at peace. We stress over things that we don't need to stress over because we don't understand peace and because sin is real in our lives. I will still struggle and wrestle with the same sins I've been struggling and wrestling with since I was 12 years old. I wrestle with them all the time. You do too. Our children won't obey us. We will be frustrated and angry at people around us who we just don't like. We'll sin, and that stuff will be at war with our peace, and we'll want to fight with people. We want to fight with our children. We want to fight with ourselves. All those things are reality. We will always be at war with our peace because of the sin and brokenness that's around us. But we're there because we don't understand the gift that God has given to us in Christ. In the midst of evil, we can live at peace with Jesus. Let me say that to you again. In the midst of evil and brokenness and sin, that's your reality. You can live in peace. Um, there is a time, uh, was a time several years ago, when Mia was, was very small. We were in Chicago in a hotel room, our hotel pool. And my mom and I were sitting on the side of the pool, and, and the three kids uh, were, were swimming. And the pool was, was an, in-gr- an in-ground pool. And we're, it's, it's one of those, it doesn't have like a rope across the middle to divide the, the shallow end from the deep end. And... There's a pretty steep slope at the edge of the shallow end. So Mia can stand in the shallow end, but as soon as she gets to the edge and and takes a step, she's going to start slipping. And the bottom of this floor was very slippery. So she stepped to that edge and began to slip. And she got, she's slipping down and she can't, she's no chance to swim. She's short and she couldn't, there's nothing that could happen. So I'm standing on the edge of this pool. I'm in my, my bathing suit, so it's fine. So I I jump in and I grab her. And, And she is, before I get in, she's, freaking out, flailing, screaming. I can't swim. I'm not tall enough. I can't get back to the shallow end. I'm in deep trouble here. And I dive into the pool and I grab her. And it's, it really is, it, she was never in, in real trouble because I was right there and I saw it happening and I jumped into the pool and I grabbed her and it's, it was like five feet. So it's plenty, I, I've got plenty. I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but I could, I can handle five feet. Um, so I, I grab her and I walk her over to the edge of the pool, and she's really, like, really, her heart rate is really high, and she's freaking out. And I set her on the edge of the pool, and she gets out and sits down. She sits down for about 10 minutes, and he gets back in the pool. And not only does she get back in the pool, she gets back in the pool with me. And now we're in the deep end together. And she's as carefree as ever. And the, the thing, the illustration I want to make to you, there is nothing about Mia that's changed. There's nothing about her circumstances that have changed. She still can't swim. Five feet is still over her head. And she would be in deep trouble. The only reason why she's not cared at all, 
She's not, she's not freaking out. It's because I'm sitting there with her and I'm holding her. That is the definition of the peace that Jesus wants to give to you. There's nothing different about Mia. There's nothing different about you. There's nothing different about the pool. It will still kill her if I'm not there. She will literally die. Her circumstances are, haven't changed. The only thing that's changed is I'm holding her. And I wish that I would have had a camera to, so you could see her playing in the place where she was 10 minutes ago freaking out. This is peace. This is what Jesus wants to bring to you. This is what we have as a possession. And anything that tells you that that's not true is a lie. You have peace. The kind of peace that allows you to be as happy as you've ever been. In the middle of difficult circumstances. In the middle of a pool that you can't swim in and is over your head. And the only thing that's saving you from death is that you are in the arms of your dad. Pardon the cheese in that. But it's beautiful. This is your savior in front of you. I want to end with two New Testament passages. Uh, Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing Faith is the key to peace. Do you see there? Don't miss that last, those last two words, in believing. Peace is yours in believing. Like it's yours. You just have to believe that it's yours. Think back to Mia in the pool. She was fully faithful that her dad would hold her. And so she wasn't scared or worried about what, what her environment was. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Peace comes when you're aware of the reality of the hope that you have in your relationship with Jesus. Peace comes when you're aware of the hope of the reality that is yours in your relationship with Jesus. Peace comes from believing. Peace comes from believing. The second verse John 14, 27. This is Jesus talking to his disciples just before he's crucified. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The opposite of the peace that Jesus gives is trouble and fear. That's what this passage is talking. But the the thing I want to center in on is this phrase. My peace I give. I give to you. That blows my mind. My Jesus speaking, my peace I give to you. So Jesus is peace. And I think about the cross. I think about the, the moments leading up to the cross and the peace that Jesus had. Like content to go to the cross and die. Content to know that the people that he had invested his life. Can I, as a pastor, can I, can I confess something to you? It breaks my heart when somebody who has given, I've given years of stress and life and prayers and, and counseling and connection with. It breaks my heart when they run away. It really does. It hurts really bad. 
Jesus, his guys that he had invested in for three years, literally spent his entire life with for, his, for three years, every moment, they abandoned him. But what did Jesus continue to have? Peace. He pressed on. He pressed forward. That's, and, and on the cross, he knows that God is going to literally abandon him because he's going to take on the weight of the sin of all of mankind. And God will abandon him because of that sin. But Jesus was still at peace. And I'm, like, I've connected many times. Around Good Friday and Easter, I'll think about the peace that had to be present in Jesus to endure that. And to say the things that he said around that. But then I see this verse in light of that idea. My peace, the peace of Jesus I give to you. That's... That is knee-buckling. As we engage the season of Christmas, of Advent, as we walk together slowly to the manger, hear Jesus say to you, my peace I give to you. That's, That's really great. And probably a good time for us to stop and pray. God, thank you for the peace that your son Jesus has brought to us. God, I pray for those in this room. Lord, this this message, this moment has the opportunity to be fleeting, Father, and I pray that it wouldn't be. God, I pray that you would minister to us now. Minister to us your peace. And the knowledge of your peace. God, you've told us that peace is found. The state of mind that has peace is found in believing you. God, grant us that, Lord. God, grant us this this season, this week, as we engage with this idea of peace. Grant us the opportunity to understand the beauty that is in your peace, God. God, may we cast aside the things that war with our peace. May we see you standing and shepherding as you administer your peace. Lord, you are beautiful. You are better than we deserve and more than we could ever hope for. God, help us to understand what it means to be at peace, to live in peace. You are everything. It's in your son's perfect name that I pray. Amen. So I want to ask a couple questions just to guide us as we respond. What is it that threatens your peace? We all have it, right? We all sit in this moment and we have these things in our lives that wage war with us. And I think verse 4 really lays out an unbelievable opportunity to respond when it says, My Savior stands and shepherds before me. Is he your Savior? Like you'll never be at peace in your life until you make Jesus your Savior. But then furthermore, how do you view him? Because as Rick just unpacked, 
He's a savior that stands. And maybe this morning, you and I need to come, with, come to grips with the fact that we don't view God as a God that stands and reigns over our lives. Or one willing to let him stand, and as verse 4 goes on, and be our shepherd. Right? It's like, okay, God, you can be my savior. But I want to be the one that stands. And I want to be the one that shepherds my life. But I don't understand why I don't have peace in my life. Well, it's because that's not who Jesus is. And that's not who he's backing us into his presence to be our savior. And to be our shepherd who guides us as the one that stands and reigns. And as verse 4 says, so that we can dwell secure. Just rest in that this morning as we stand and as we sing. Is he your savior? And are you letting him stand in your life and shepherd your life so that you can dwell secure? It doesn't mean everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to mean you're surrendered to a God that is. So we're, we're willing to pray with you in the back. And we're going to sing and proclaim the goodness of this peace-making God. And we're going to come forward and we're going to surrender with communion, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to the table to come and confess you. You're all I have to be at peace in my life. We're going to give as a picture of surrender. Peace doesn't come by me holding things tightly. Peace comes by me letting go. And saying, God, only in your arms can I dwell secure. Let's respond as the Lord leads.